Psalm 60, starting at verse 1. For the director of music, to the tune of the Lily of the Covenant, a miktam of David, for teaching, when he fought Aram, Neharim, and Aram Zobar, and when Joab returned and struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of the Salt. You have rejected us, O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry, now restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who ha- you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the an- enemy, for the help of man is worthless. With God we shall gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. This is God's word. And let's pray as we come to God's word. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming to your word, the Bible. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning to be our teacher. And we pray that you give us minds able to understand and hearts willing to obey your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to think for a few moments about failure. Uh, when plans have not worked out the way that you uh, would have hoped. Some years ago, uh, a friend of mine, let's call him Jeff, brought a friend of his, a non-Christian friend, along to church. We'll call her Sally. And after the service, I, I had a chat with Sally, and I, I thought that we'd had a great conversation. But uh, the problem was Sally didn't quite see it the same way. In fact, I came across as arrogant and rude. Uh, when the conversation was reported back uh, via Jeff. And it made Jeff's friendship very, very difficult. In fact, Sally didn't speak to, to Jeff for some months after that. And as Jeff recounted to me the way that I'd spoken, the things that I'd said, it became clear that it wasn't merely Sally's imagination that uh, I'd been arrogant and rude. In fact, I had made mistakes. This was a failure of my own making. I'd been foolish. Now, before I go any further, if you're here and you're not a, yet a Christian and um, I come up to you after the service, please don't be alarmed. I, I've grown up a lot since then and there are th- people who can vouch for me that I'm, I've calmed and mellowed. But nevertheless, at this particular point, I've been foolish. I'd made mistakes. And in this uh, first psalm of a short series of psalms that we're going to be uh, looking at over the next few weeks, this psalm of David, uh, Psalm 60, Uh, king of God's historic people, David, seems to be facing failure. Now the background to this psalm is in 2 Samuel 8, and the strange thing both about 2 Samuel 8 and in fact uh, the introduction that MJ read for us in the description is that we read nothing about failure. 
In fact, from the the title and the the details here, what we'd expect is glorious victory. Do you see at the end of that introductory description there, it says, when Joab returned and struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. What we'd expect is a psalm about victory. And yet when we look at the, the detail of the psalm, it seems to be written at a point of desperate need. Do you see verse 3, for example? You've shown your people desperate times. Verse 5, save us and help us with your right hand. Verse 11, give us aid against the enemy. And so we need to read between the lines slightly about the timing of when this psalm was written. It seems as if David has done something a little foolish. He's overreached himself and engaged in, if you like, some unnecessary territory grabbing over in the far northeast near the Euphrates River. He's left uh, the capital city down in the south exposed. Geographically, I guess it's a bit like this. You've got the King of England trying to invade Edinburgh when Edinburgh is no threat to him whatsoever, and then the French invade London. That's the sort of situation that we've got here. And of course, there's no easy jet. He can't get quickly back down to the south. And so he panics. And this psalm seems to be written at a point where he realizes the foolishness of his actions. There he is up in the north and things seem to be unraveling before him in this moment of failure. And he seems to sense God's rejection. Do you see that in verse 1? You have rejected us, O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry, now restore us. God's rejection. Now, there are many reasons that the Bible would talk about God's rejection. I think here it's simply a way of saying that God's, in God's world's foolish actions have foolish consequences. It's a bit like what we've been seeing in the book of Proverbs. So, adultery can destroy marriages and cause children to suffer. Addiction to, to drugs can lead to robbery and deceit. Anger can cause frustration and resentment at home or at work. David goes on this jolly up in the north like the King of England invading Edinburgh. No wonder he gets attacked down in the south. My arrogant explanation to Sally ended in an angry response. And when we think of those kinds of consequences, then these words in verse 2 and 3 seem appropriate. You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures for it is quaking, You have shown your people desperate times. You have caused us wine that makes us stagger. It's a picture of brokenness and desperation and confusion in the midst of failure. Now, let me be clear. There there are many reasons why we fail. Sometimes we fail for reasons that are completely beyond our control. You think of someone trying to start up a successful business and the market is just against them. Or you think of someone trying to uh, reconnect with a group of friends, but someone in that group has lied to them, and so the sin of others makes it impossible. There are, there are many reasons why we fail and things happen. That's not what this psalm's addressing. But have you ever been in a moment like the moment David is facing? Perhaps because of pride. When you know that you've acted foolishly, and the consequences are unraveling before your eyes. What David calls and experiences as rejection. Foolish actions have foolish consequences. 
Well, if you've ever faced a situation like that or, or know people who have, these words are precious, precious words. Have a look at verse 4. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Now you have to uh, put yourself in a, in a battlefield sort of situation to, to get this, but imagine a battlefield and uh, in the midst of a, a battle where one side is losing, a, a pole would be put up with a flag at the top. That's the banner. And the losing side would know to run to the flag. Uh, that would be the place where you regroup for safety before you go out and attack again. It's the place to run for safety, in other words. Now, I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan. I hope that uh, that you are. Um, he's great. If you haven't seen a Denzel film, can I encourage you to do that as soon as possible? Uh, but one film that he uh, made a couple of years ago now was called Safe House. And this was a classic Denzel Washington film. He uh, was a incredibly skilled ex-CIA agent. He's a spy, in other words, and he's involved in a secret operation. And um, it turns out, just in the first scene of this film, that he's been set up. And before long, it seems like everyone is against him and he's on the run. And despite his highly skilled espionage training, he can't get out of trouble. And it's like he's knocked over an anthill or something. There are swarms of people coming towards him and he's wondering what to do. And he looks around at this point of desperation and he looks up and he sees a flag. And it's the US flag and it's the embassy. And he runs to the embassy and manages to flash his I presume his passport in time and gets let through the gates and is safe. That's the, the kind of picture here. It's the place where you run to for safety. And later on in the film, he drives out in an armored car ready to do battle again. The banner, the place of safety in this case, is the promises of God. And the rest of the psalm outlines those promises so that we know where to run to when we find ourselves in this kind of situation. And here's the first uh, promise, that God works despite our failure. God works despite our failure. Follow with me as we read from verse 6. God has spoken from his sanctuary, In triumph I will parcel out Shechem, the measure of the valley of Succoth. God is saying here, our failure is not his failure. God will complete his plan. So he says in verse 6, God has spoken from his holiness, from, from out of his mighty power and authority. That's what it means when it says his sanctuary there. I will parcel out Shechem in triumph. That's his people west of the Jordan. He's saying, just like we might wrap up a a present for someone at Christmas, I've wrapped up my people in that place west of the Jordan. Secure. He he says at the end of verse 6, a measure off the valley of Sukkoth, every square inch of his people east of the Jordan are accounted for and safe. 
And then in this next little bit in verse 7, he outlines the whole of the promised land, if you like. Gilead, he says, is mine. That's in the east. Manasseh is mine. That's in the west. Ephraim is my helmet. That's uh, synonymous for the north. And Judah is my scepter in the south. He's saying all of these places are part of my royal armory. David, you got your map out and tried to mark out the bits that belong to you but I want you to remember that all of this land belongs to me. And I'm in control of keeping them safe. And more than that, in verse 8, more than that in verse 8, even your enemies, Moab, Edom, and Philistia, are just my servants. And I'll use them to do whatever I want to do with my lands. That's, that's what the imagery is saying here. Moab is my wash basin, the thing that I just use for my own purposes. On, upon Edom, I toss my sandal, the thing that I throw to my servants. I use them for my own purposes. Just like you might hire a, a gardener to take out the weeds and uh, change the landscape. But at the end of the day, they're just doing work for you. So God is saying here, I'm the one who will get the glory in the end. Even uh, enemies I will use for my own purposes. At the end of the day, even over Philistia, it will be me who shouts triumph. It's me who wins the battle. So we need to remember who God is in the face of failure. Sometimes um, uh, I ask my daughter Esther to set the table at dinner time. And um, she, I'll be in the kitchen, she'll be in the next room. And uh, occasionally I'll hear a scream. And um, I've learnt now not to react too uh, alarmed to her scream. And I'll go into the next room and um, she'll be rolling around on the floor. And I'll think to myself, uh, how did Rachel's DNA and my DNA end up making this thing that is now rolling on the floor? And eventually she will calm down and I'll say, what's wrong? And she'll say, I've spilt some water on the table or there's one knife short on the table. And once I've just got over the ridiculousness of the situation, I I try and say to her, look, don't worry. I'm not going to leave the job unfinished. I'll pick up the pieces and make sure that the job gets done. And so the Lord says here, do you see that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, remember who I am. Your failure is not my failure. I will complete my plans. God works despite our failure. And so you see, if God had wanted Sally to become a Christian, he will take care of that. Even my foolish cannot, my foolishness cannot mess up God's plans. Now does that mean that it doesn't matter what we do? that we can foolishly go along with our own selfish plans and God will do his work anyway? Well, no. <laughs> uh, David wouldn't advocate that kind of attitude. In, in verse 1, he, he says, restore us, right at the end there of verse 1. That's not just a, a military word, it's a spiritual word. Restore my relationship with you, he says. And in verse 4, he says, for those who fear you, who have a reverent awe of you, who honor you, you have raised a banner. But nevertheless, when we find that plans have failed because of our foolishness, 
we can know that God works despite our failure. Isn't that an encouragement? God works despite our failure. Now you may think, well look, that's, that's all very well, but I look at the situation that I'm in, and it's still a mess. And what's more, I feel beyond help. And you know, guilt and frustration that ends up weighing me down. And I think to myself, maybe I'm not useful for anything anymore. Well, welcome to David's world. Do you see in verse 9, he feels hopeless for the task. He, he says, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? This fortified city, the place where the battle is raging at Edom, is the place where he feels is completely impenetrable for him. But for us, of course, the fortified city is the collision course that we're on with God, that our sin, our foolishness, puts us on. The collision course that we're on, because essentially we've said at some point, I know better than you. And, and perhaps the one person who we feel can help, we feel alienated from, like David does in verse 10. Is it not you, O God, who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? And so we too need to hear this second point, that God saves despite our failure. In other words, despite our failure, we can be delivered. Do you see how in verse 5, uh, David cries out for salvation from his enemies? Save us, he says, and help us with your right hand, that those who love, uh, those you love may be delivered. And again in verse 11, give us aid against the enemy, for the help, literally salvation of man, is worthless. You see, David knows that his failure is the result of his foolish pride of saying, my way is not your way. And so David does the only thing that he can do. He cries out to God and says, I need your help, verse 11. It's not just the direction that his army is facing that's the issue, but the direction that his heart is facing. The war that rages on the outside with Edom is a picture in this psalm of the war that rages on the inside not just of David's heart, but of every heart, of our failure to listen to God at times, to go God's way, not to go God's way, and instead to go our way, and therefore to be facing his ultimate displeasure. We'll come face to face with the relentless goodness of God in verse 12. With God, we shall gain the victory. He will trample down our enemies. Even in failure, God can bring victory in the midst of our sin and failure. I am a, a Liverpool fan and um, a Liverpool UK um, football team. And uh, in 2005, they took on AC Milan, probably one of the, the best club team in the world at that time. And they were, they were playing in the European Cup final, the biggest club game that there is that year. And uh, I, I got together with a, a few friends from Christchurch Mayfair. There we were sitting in uh, one of our flats. We had the, you know, we had the, the crisps there. We had the twiglets. We had the 
Dr. Pepper. We had everything. And there we are watching this final, 45 minutes in. AC Milan are winning 3-0. And I just, I was fed up. And I just took the keys to the car and left. I just, I, I just, I just went home completely dejected. We've got no hope of coming back from this at all. As I was in the car, 54th minute, the phone buzzed. Well, that was our consolation goal. 56th minute, the phone buzzed again. Interesting. 60th minute, the phone begins to ring, but I'm driving, of course. I can't touch the phone. I carry on driving home, careful not to break the speed limit. And I get home, and it's three all. And I, I watched the penalty shootout that happens where Dudek saves three penalties and Liverpool win the European Cup final. It's incredible. It looked completely impossible. I, I, I picked up the keys and went home dejected, and yet somehow a way was found. And sometimes we can feel completely dejected, like we may as well go home and give up in the midst of our failure. But if we look to God, here's the point, if we look to God, he can bring the victory over an enemy far more significant than a a football team in Italy. And he hasn't kept us guessing over how that battle will be won. 2,000 years ago, there was another piece of wood that was put down into the ground. And on the top of that piece of wood wasn't a flag. It was the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for the sins that we have committed, that we deserve to take. It, it, it looked all over for, for Denzel as he, as he looked around in the midst of his enemies coming upon him until he saw that US flag. And it would be all over for us if it were not for the body of Jesus held high on the cross. We can't know what God will choose to do with those situations where we mess up because of our failure, but we can know that because he takes the punishment we deserve and because he rose again from the grave, that he wins the battle for us against sin and death. So that the fortified city is not a place of of fear, but a place of victory. Can I therefore plead with us that as we counsel one another, we would do it well when we face failure of our own making? So easy. When you hear of people who've messed up, maybe to point the finger, to despair, maybe even to gossip, Why not remember with them that God can work despite our failure and that God can forgive us despite our failure? I'm very thankful for uh, my friend Jeff who did just that many, many years ago in the midst of uh, how I was feeling after that conversation with, with Sally. He reminded me very simply, they're in church of the sovereignty of God and the saving power of the cross and prayed with me for my ministry and for for her. And although he didn't use the words of Psalm 60, what was wonderful was he did exactly what Psalm 60 does. There was me in the theatre of my own life and ministry with the spotlight completely on myself And what he did was, was what Psalm 60 does, and he redirected the spotlight onto the the scriptwriter and the director and the star 
of the show, the one who has everything under control and who cares deeply for everyone in the cast. He put the spotlight onto God, the sovereign God and the saving God. And would it be amazing if it was that kind of prayer that was on our lips and on the lips of others in the face of failure this year? Let's bow our heads and pray. God has spoken from his sanctuary. I will parcel out Shechem. Thank you, living God, that you are not limited by our foolishness nor do you need our help as if you were weak. But you work despite our failures to achieve your purposes. Thank you so much that you do indeed triumph over the ultimate enemy of sin and death through the Lord Jesus' death on the cross so that we can say with confidence that with you, we can win the victory over sin and death. We pray, Heavenly Father, therefore, that we can rejoice in our weakness, knowing that you are strong. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we might continue to look to the banner of your promises, even in the midst of failure. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the band come up, why not take a, a moment just to reflect on those things that we've heard. Let's just take a moment to reflect back over that psalm, perhaps to, to pray quietly, something that's uh, spoken to us particularly from, from that text.